Tina Funder. And I'm Laurel Davis. Welcome to Work Like a Mother Father, a podcast about negotiating working parenthood, one positive conversation at a time. And really some of the most miserable people I've worked with don't do the juggle at all and they're missing out completely. As the first directly elected female Lord Mayor of the City of Melbourne, Sally Cap attributes much of her success to a positive attitude, challenging herself and just giving things a go. It has certainly worked. The Lord Mayor was also the first woman to hold the post of Agent General of Victoria in the UK, Europe and Israel, has held senior roles at KPMG and ANZ, took the small business she co-founded to the ASX, sits on a number of boards and made history as the first female board member of the Collingwood Football Club. We had the absolute pleasure and privilege of chatting to the Honourable Lord Mayor about her trailblazing career of firsts while doing the working parent hustle. And let's just say it was nothing short of inspirational. Lord Mayor, you must be one of the busiest women on the planet. Thank you so much for finding time to squeeze us into your schedule. It is my pleasure. It's lovely to be here. I think these conversations are very important and I'll probably find it quite cathartic. Oh, good. Brilliant. Well, thanks for making the time. (laughs) And congratulations are in order because you have just been awarded the McKinnon Prize for Political Leadership. I have. I won the emerging category and I haven't been an emerging anything for about three decades. (laughs) Uh, But seriously, it's a very prestigious award. I feel honoured Uh, to be recognised. I am a new politician, small p politician, if there's such a thing, and (laughs) uh, to be recognised, it it actually gives me a bit of confidence, which is lovely. Yeah, fantastic. And how does your family receive news like that? Your sons must be really proud of you. They are. uh, They really are. And uh, I think one of the, I guess, things that I'm aware of is that I have always been a -a have-a-goer. And that's led me into so many amazing experiences, including motherhood and parenthood. And uh, I do keep putting my hand up for lots of different opportunities and my my career has zigzagged as a result, as I call it. Uh, and um, for me, it's very much, there are, I think, a lot of people that I've worked with that choose to work in a straitjacket where everything is linear and vertical in terms of their their concept of success and happiness and I think success is very personal it's 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 a incredibly personal and unique story so I tend to live like that and I'm what I've got my arms are like the jet star ads of people (laughs) jumping in there I like to try and touch every boundary of my personal abilities of of structures and systems and workplaces and really push the boundaries and I'm very conscious that um for my children that they've one had to live with a a mad mother like that uh, and two that that's not always their thing either Um, so uh, I'm conscious of that and at the end of all of that I'm going to say my kids are very proud of me I feel their love and support I love it um, when they give me hugs voluntarily now yeah. they're older yeah. boys. Oh, that must be uh, rarer and, and rarer. It was, um, just lovely to be able to to share it with them. And mm. and my biggest test is when I hear some of their friends talking about it, because ah, then I know that, that they've been then you're cool, about mom. it yeah. as well, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's brilliant. And speaking of children, you the city of Melbourne is also it's your home as much as it is mm. your work. Mm. How does it feel to be the mother of nine hundred thousand Melbournians <laughs> of a day to day basis? What a great line because I do 
feel that sometimes I'm using my mother's voice in some of the conversations <laughs> I'm having, either in town hall or out on the streets. And uh, I look, it's one, it's an absolute privilege and honour to be the Lord Mayor of Melbourne. How cool is it? I sometimes to pinch myself just to remind myself uh, my name is now chiselled into the marble uh, plates that are at Town Hall entrance and it's just an, an amazing uh, opportunity. But for me, it's also a complete joy. It's surprised me actually how much I love it. Yes. And uh, there were elements of the role that I didn't really understand or appreciate uh, and I, I've really jumped into those, particularly connection to community. I absolutely love it. And there were elements that I, I was already aware of, particularly the representation or the advocacy into other levels of government. And for me, it's just been on steroids how good they are. Mm. So there's a, there's a huge joy. There's no doubt that it's unrelenting. Yeah. I mean, I can sort of get on a tram and have people telling me what they think about various things. No doubt. <laughs> it's a constant feedback loop. Mm. Uh, but uh, I'm very proud of all of those things as well. If people speak to me, I know that they're coming from an, uh, a place of passion mm. and that they deeply care about these things and I take it that way as well because I'm part of it Yeah. as well. I love sharing ideas and debating ideas and, and getting that sort of feedback. So I think for me, luckily, I take it well uh, and the unrelenting nature of it I've, I've sort of embraced in so many ways. And being a resident, because when I became Lord Mayor uh, in 2018, I was still living in Hawthorne, and becoming a resident, it's, again, brought a completely different dimension to it because I'm living in it and uh, it's helpful uh, and illuminating and I've got to say it's sort of relaxing in a way as well because as soon as I walk out of town hall or out of an event in the evening, I feel like I'm already home. Mm. Yes. It's so lovely. Yes. Uh, so it's been, been terrific and I am a proud mother of 900,000 people, even <laughs> when some of them are misbehaving and I've had my fair share of that as well. But I'm very sure. proud. A couple Fantastic. of recent incidents in yes, particular. I know. Naughty. Naughty. <laughs> You've had a career of firsts and senior leadership roles, which you've carved out whilst raising two children. Was there any question ever at any stage whether or not you could do both? No, of course not, because I, I'm the have-a-goer. I'm somebody that thinks, uh, jump in and see how it all, it's all going to work. And I want everything. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, we do want to try and have it all. And I think that most of us realise that we can have it all, but it's normally at different phases of your life because it's the juggle and the balance. And that's okay because everybody's doing it these days. Mm. It might be slightly different, but there's still, I think, a juggle element to, to everybody. And really, some of the most miserable people I've worked with don't do the juggle at all and they're missing out completely. So I'm all for the juggle and embracing that. that. I, I know that it comes with stress and I know that it comes with guilt uh, and I know that there are challenges, but I would much rather have that than the other way, which seems very boring and stifling and, and uh, unfulfilling. So uh, I think, you know, keep stretching yourself and see, see what's possible. But I have been lucky because uh, I remember many, many years ago, one of my uncles said to me, when basically I was 12 years old, so I don't know why he was talking to me about it, but he said, you know, one of the most important decisions in your life will be your partner. And luckily... Uh, I have the best partner 
and we always do everything as a team. So all of our decision making, uh, all of our discussions about our dreams uh, and plans and ambitions, uh, how we manage and support each other has always been a team effort and I do see other situations where that's not the case and I just think, wow, I am so lucky because the juggle is much easier when you've got somebody with you Mm. uh, managing that. You know, all of a sudden you've got four hands to catch things instead of two. Uh, So that's terrific. It means there are more balls in the air, but that's okay as well. So that's been really fantastic. I've had amazing family support, even uh, family and, and great friends who've sometimes stared me down and said, stop or change, or don't be ridiculous, or, you know, that that reality check. And you need those people in your life as well, because you can drive yourself too hard, and just having a bit of that reflection back is so important. So I've had those great moments in my life uh, where I've actually stopped doing things, and they've been as fabulous as, as, um, you know, driving uh, new opportunities. So uh, I think that sense of a support network not just a sense, the reality for me is really important because when I first, well, for both of the boys, we didn't have paid maternity leave. Mm. It was still an oddity Mm. in those days. We had workplaces that were seen as being, um, you know, so wonderful for recognising that you're having a bit of time off. Mm. I think I had 10 weeks with the first baby and six weeks with the second and and sort of uh, jumping back into it. And yeah, I think the reality of where we're getting to is better, but really we've come from such a low base. Mm. The, the, there's still a huge road ahead. It's interesting a lot of the points that you raised were about communication. So support, a lot of support comes down to communicating really well with your partners, your friends communicating with you, your family sort of inputting and saying it's time to, you know, maybe pull it back a notch, Sally. So, yeah, communication just seems to be a really strong factor. I agree factor with in. you. Yeah, mm. it is. I learned very early on in my career, actually, it's one of my three career rules is to tell people what you want because people aren't mind readers and you can think you're looking um, as productive or you can be, you might be looking stressed and you're waiting for people to respond to you with the sort of support you need. But frankly, everybody's got their own stuff going on and nobody is a mind reader. Mm. Mm. So you have to find ways of communicating that suit you, suit your style, uh, uh, suit a situation and... I actually, I practice that. Uh, I, uh, particularly in my career, I used to practice into a mirror out loud because the more times you say things out loud, the more comfortable you become with it. And, and it may be that you don't say it again until that exact situation comes up, but at least you've practiced it yes. and rehearsing and practicing and trying things. Uh, they, they really are great for when you don't want to admit something or you really don't want to ask for help or you don't want to have to accept that you've made a mistake or you're heading down the wrong way. Uh, we all confront those situations. So the more often and the more use you you have, the more used to it you are, is what I'm trying to say, uh, the more likely it is that, that um, you can have that communication. I am comfortable with humiliating myself, with admitting that I'm wrong. I am very respectful of failure and... And I do reach out and ask people things at the oddest times and it's helped me in my professional career and certainly in my personal career and it's helped me with the juggle. Hmm. Where do you think that's come from? Have you cultivated that or is that something you feel like you've always innately had? Well, my mother would tell you that I 
I share too much. <laughs> uh, as a teenager, I spent a lot of time uh, sharing uh, stories and experiences and uh, asking for advice on things where mum would say, and I was an exchange student as well, even my, uh, my American mum would just say, too much information, just walk away. Uh, but when I came into professional situations, uh, I had to learn. I, I wasn't like that at all. I I would work prodigiously and, and I'd work long hours and I kept waiting for opportunities to be bestowed upon me that reflected, you know, my hard work and my intellect. And I didn't say anything and I saw other people... So I learnt the hard way, basically, because I saw other peers of mine being given opportunities. I was thinking, well, hang on, you know, I've done all of this over here. How come I'm not being given a secondment or a new transaction to work on? And, uh, and why aren't I getting pay rises? And uh, it came to about my fourth pay review and performance review with my boss. And he said, you know, you're doing a sensational job. We love what you're doing. Here's an extra $500 a year mm -hmm. uh, as a pay rise. And uh, we'll see you again in six months' time. Yikes. And after four of those, and all of this built up, emotion and resentment and frustration, I did what every articulate, well-educated young person does. I cried hysterically. <laughs> I blubbered. And it was great that I did that because... And I, you know, I would have loved to have controlled it in a professional situation, but I, I couldn't. It had built up in me for so long. But the great thing about expressing that emotion was that I could see on my boss's face complete shock. He didn't know that I was upset. I saw in that moment the power of actually communicating. Yes. Mm. Because for all intents and purposes, he thought he was doing the right thing by me. Yeah. He, yeah. Didn't. he had an agenda. Yep. I was working really hard and helping make a lot of money for his practice and I seemed to be happy all the time. Yeah. I'm a happy yeah. person. So I had to leave the room uh, and compose myself and get some tissues, but I came straight back in and I started talking. And he said, Sally, I had no idea that you wanted to work on different types of transactions or in different parts of the firm uh, because you always seemed terrifically satisfied with what you were doing. And frankly, it suited me. Uh, and from that moment, I started practising in the mirror. Mm, mm. Fantastic. Mm. And what were some of the other things that you came up against as, a, as well, as a woman, as a mother, growing into your ambition and career in the 80s and 90s? And how did you push through those? Mm. Well, I've had cause to punch a man in the face. I've uh, questioned lots of policies and I'm a question asker. Uh, if, I, if I find something's unacceptable, I'll just keep asking questions to understand why is it like that? Um, I think luckily for me, mostly I've been in positions where I felt comfortable and safe enough to do that. Not all the time. I remember walking into a a boardroom once as a young lawyer and I think, you know, quite a, um, um, an experienced lawyer by this stage and it was all men and uh, one of the gentlemen, a senior gentleman, made a very undermining comment about me in front of everyone and thought it was just funny and everybody else laughed because mm. that's what you do. And I didn't say anything because I didn't feel like I could but I've never forgotten it or that person. Uh, and so you can't always say things, but um, when I can, I've, I've made sure I've made the most of the opportunity to question things constantly. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a hallmark. Some people would say I'm annoying. Uh, and I'm sure there are many work situations where, you know, I've, I've moved on from some of those because that style doesn't suit or I haven't been able to, to push through. Mm. There are still so many 
inherently unfair policies, systems and structures in place because that's the way we've always done it. And in the role of Lord Mayor, I've become so much more aware of feminism, of having a platform, of role modelling, but I've also become aware that as a white, middle-aged, well-educated and loved female... Uh, while the female part I, I'm an absolute champion for and will be, there are so many other people in our community that have fewer advantages and struggle with so many other barriers. And so it's this is an opportunity to be a champion for them, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's age, whether it's sexuality, whether it's, it's religion. Uh, we have amazing people that are refugees that come to live in our community and the, the, the barriers that they're facing seem insurmountable. And so for me, this, the struggle around uh, what we want to see in terms of fairness and equality for women is like the vanguard of change. Mm. Mm. If we can do that for what is the biggest group of marginalised yep. women yes. in our society, yeah. then that hopefully teaches us all about how do we enact more change that delivers more equity and in doing that, how do we do it more yeah. prolifically yeah. with other groups in our you can community. have your platform and you can be mm. at the sort of highest level with your platform, but if you don't reach deep into the community and, mm. and, and as low as you possibly can to lift everyone up, then yep. the real change isn't going to happen, is it? Exactly. I agree with yeah. you entirely. Absolutely. You, you did speak earlier actually about the maternity leave or par- parental lack of parental pay situation when you were having your boys and you know, the paid parental leave scheme didn't come in until, what, I think, 2011. So how did you, how hard did you find it to keep your job and maintain your career growth through those maternity leave periods? It was hard. It was really hard. Uh, I was lucky again, you know, a wonderful partner and he had his own business, so that created some flexibility for us. It was really hard because, um, you know, the, your resources are, are, are cut uh, you, you're not necessarily taken as seriously in the workplace anymore. Uh, your, the, the perceptions of you and what you can achieve are, are different. Uh, you're trying to become a good mother and we know with motherhood you can read as many books, you can go to as many classes, but it's not until you've actually got a child that it all comes crashing down on you. And I often say to friends who are expecting children, the great thing is that I've proven that kids are parent-proof. So it didn't matter what I threw, (laughs) not physically threw, but situations Mm, that I found myself in with the kids, they seem to survive. And thank goodness for that because we tried everything and we found ourselves in all sorts of, of situations. But what we did is we kept trying different things. If something didn't work, we'd try something different. They say the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome. And it made us very busy and we kept questioning ourselves and chopping and changing. But we did that until we found the right support, the right routine uh, and rhythm for us. Um, we I'm not scared of judgment, so I think that helps as well. Mm. Uh, you do feel a sense of needing to uh, um, comply with everybody else because actually that's a validation for them if you do that. And and I don't subscribe to that at all. It's uh, You've really got to find your own groove and it might take you a while. For us it did take a while because we were living away from Melbourne 
we were in Perth, so we didn't have a lot of family support around us that you would naturally go to in those situations. So uh, we became very resilient. Uh, we really relied on each other. But we also found extended family and we found support in places we may, may not have uh, thought we would. And uh, community can be fantastic, whatever your community is. Where are your peeps? Yeah. And Gather uh, your village. Yeah, the village. And, and uh, we really became very reliant on that. And that's the other thing it really taught me is that is vulnerability is more than okay. You know, I think now there's power in vulnerability, power in, in demonstrating and being real in that way. But there's no doubt when you're a young mother and you're a professional woman, you, you resile at the start from showing that vulnerability. And I, mm. I, I did suffer from that mm. at the start. But because I'm, I'm, I'm very good at asking those questions and if it, if it doesn't feel right, you've just got to keep trying something different until mm-hmm. you get that click yeah. and away you go. So that sort of tenacity and iterative process that you applied in the family context, is, mm. did you apply that to the career side of your life in those early years of having kids as yeah, well? I did. I did because I realised that uh, I was working for quite a big firm and uh, this isn't a judgement on them. It's really a reflection of the time. It was, it was still novel. Mm. I didn't know what to do. Mm. I didn't know either. I didn't even know really what to ask for. And they didn't know what to offer that would make a difference. And I realised as much as I kept trying uh, to make it work, that that, that work arrangement um, really, with I ended up with two boys uh, under two and, uh, and it, it just wasn't going to work. Mm. So a big... Uh, big adventure, more risk-taking, just what you need, uh, and uh, try something else. Mm. And um, they're not always soft landings mm. either. No. But as I said, I'm respectful of failure now. I realise that out of some of those most trying times come the best learnings and and the best experiences. And, you know, you gather, you gather a lot of your village in mm. those moments Absolutely. as well around vulnerability. Mm. So not always a soft landing, but... You know, overall, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And at, obviously, at the time, you were applying a lot of positivity and optimism to the situation. Mm. But did you feel at the time that it was unjust or unequal? Did that? Did you feel that in your core? And, oh, absolutely. And, and did it? Did that piss you off, or did it fuel you? Do you know what? It it, it still makes me angry mm. that that sort of situation. But on the other side of that, and I, I again, I say this to a lot of kids who I mentor, is that you are responsible for your own happiness. If, if you must accept that responsibility, you are responsible for your own career. If you keep relying on institutions or others to, to drive that happiness or that success, you're going to be disappointed. It might not be in the short term, but ultimately you will. I'm somebody that likes, and I think most people are, you like to feel you have options. And the best way to have options is to actually take responsibility and some control over your situation. Mm. And so, yes, I feel angry about these things, um, but I also realise that um, it's not worth, not always worth waiting. It's not always worth the fight in a certain situation. Mm. It's, it's sometimes about you actually saying, I'm pulling up stumps from this situation and I'm moving on. And maybe in that, people will review maybe later I can come back and see if I can improve that situation Mm. Uh, and now I'm much more conscious of the contribution I make for others as well but at the time when you're in the trenches I think the first thing is your personal survival and happiness because you you can't have happy kids if you're unhappy Mm. you know and and so looking after yourself for them 
is really important mm. and uh, and sometimes you have to be selfish. Um, could I have, you know, for example, with the, the law firm, waited, made more of a stand, protested until everything changed there? I probably could have done that. But it, for me at the time, it was too much of a personal cost. It was yeah. better for me and my own mental health and my own sense of happiness mm. and purpose was to move on. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. Mm. And you have talked about that zigzag career, as you say, love that expression, mm. have a goer. Mm. That's, that's fantastic. We really enjoyed watching the um, University of Melbourne Women of the Business series in which you talked about this quite a lot. Mm. I guess we were wondering how much of that career hopscotch, that sort of moving up, down, sideways, different industries, different sectors, how much of that was very much on your own terms or how much of that was sort of influenced um, by the way your family was evolving? Oh, it's a good question uh, because uh, all of us, and this is what the juggle is about, uh, it's about what you prioritise at different times in your life and I'm quite conscious of those priorities. Uh, for me, not, you know, don't tell my husband, but the boys are number one for me in every situation and it was so physically demonstrated to me one day when I was working at ANZ Bank. We were in an executive meeting. Uh, I've, you know, the, one of those situations where you feel lucky to be in the room, if you like, with a whole lot of other senior execs. And meeting was supposed to finish at 4.30. I was on pickup, young boys, and uh, the meeting goes beyond 4.30. I'm looking at the clock. I end up with perspiration literally trickling down my face and I'm wondering is anybody going to notice this state of distress that I was in and I, I looked inside myself and I said hey you're you're physically having a reaction here what's the issue the issue is you know you need to go because your priority are those boys those gorgeous boys standing on the side of the road waiting for you and not this Situation. As much as I love my career, you know, those, those are uh, moments when you, when you really can, it crystallises for you. So I said, excuse me, gentlemen, uh, but this meeting was supposed to finish at 4.30. I have another commitment that's important to me, so I'm going to have to leave. And uh, the CEO looked at the clock and said, oh, I hadn't even realised, I've got another meeting as well. Yet I'd been so fearful oh, of saying anything and feeling sick. Mm. And it's in those moments where you really think, look, these are my priorities and when it comes down to it. And that's great. I think that gives you another whole boost of energy because you've got some clarity and mm. you've got that, uh, you know, that drive back and you're very clear about your purpose and your priorities. Mm. And I left and I picked up those gorgeous boys and I, and I, and I still love them. And I was like coming to this today because I was on the phone to one of my sons who's trapped over in the UK. Trapped. I mean, <laughs> terrible place to be trapped. Uh, and uh, and they will always be a, a priority. Mm. But um, juggling those things, um, the zigzag and, and what has that meant absolutely have been influenced by my family life at the time. I left the law and I'd worked so hard as a lawyer um, before I reached the pinnacle of being a lawyer, which is partner, which I desperately wanted, I left it because it didn't suit me with two mm. young kids. And I went into something else. But the zigzag for me is about whatever stage you're at, leverage everything you can out of that stage. And for me, that's always meant that instead of stepping one step, I've been able to leapfrog into completely different environments and experiences and roles and sectors and markets and it's been completely extraordinary but I've always made sure that I've leveraged every 
bit out mm. of the experience I'm in, even mm. if it means I'm never... Uh, one day I might not get to the ultimate ambition. I've just taken enough with me to be able to give me that opportunity to leap forward mm. instead of mm. little steps. I'm not really an incremental person. <laughs> I'm more of a... You're an inspiration. A leaper. Is what you are. <laughs> Moving on to a different part of your life, Lord Mayor, in 2006 you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer and at the time your kids were really young and you had a really big job. So as a career woman and a mother, how did this health crisis reframe things for you? Mm. Well, I said earlier, big, big, big breath from me because I find actually this one of the hardest things to talk about. Uh, because it's so far out of your control. Mm. And look, I'm a glass three quarters full person and uh, I I really had one of the best cancers that you can have because it was a a tumour and uh, caught in in good time and and something that they can clean out of your system. But it did take a little while. You have to do some treatments and things like that. And at the time we didn't tell the boys because we just felt it was too distressing. It was distressing for us. Uh, and uh, they were young, so they couldn't quite work out, you know, why was mum at home a lot or then if I was having radiation or something, why wasn't I home and and things like that. Uh, but we managed all of that communication. Amazing support network, family and friends. You, you really get to feel that love and that support. But it's so... You're so vulnerable. Mm. I, I can't even describe it. In fact... You know, the rawness of um, me when I was doing the campaign in 2018, uh, you know, I like to be a professional person. It's my comfort zone, so I'm very comfortable being professional. (laughs) And uh, part of the campaign, um, my team said to me, look, you, you need to be all of you in this. People need to see all of you because that's where you can create connections with people. I've never done a public, you know, um, going up for, for public judgment before for voting. And I said, oh, okay. And they said, well, you'll have to, um, let's do some videos and we can ask you some questions about your personal life and that can come forward. So anyway, they asked all these lovely questions and so far so good. I'd been very professional in my answers. (laughs) And then they threw in the one about uh, cancer and being sick. And I just the tears started to flow down because it's in those moments. I remember driving home from the hospital when they first did the tests and they came back and said, yes, you've got cancer. Just my fear for the children, hmm. you know, my for myself, for not, for thinking maybe I won't live long enough to, to see them grow and all the things that you want to do. And mm. I still get emotional. Mm. But it was an amazing recalibration for me. Mm. Incredible in those moments. And I think that you do have times in your life where, um, where it might not seem like it at the time, but it really gives you a chance to completely throw your life up in the air. And that's ultimately what I did. Mm. I went, um, ANZ were fantastic and they're so supportive and gave me time off and I came in and out and depending on what was happening. And I eventually sat down with the CEO and I said, John, I actually feel like I need to do something with more purpose and meaning in my life. This is where I've got to after this experience. And I've been driven by commercial outcomes for all of my career and I'm actually looking to switch it. And he said, I can see it. He said, I can see it in your face. I get it. And he said, go. We'll we'll support you, go. And it was an amazing conversation and uh, a really good one for me because, as I said, professional life is a comfort zone for me. And uh, I was 
really tossing that out mm. and, and seeing seeing what happened. And, and you have to get really personal when you're wanting to work sort of purpose first from the purpose out yes. don't you yeah and you have to think about it a lot because it's got to resonate with you and it makes you think oh what does resonate with me mm. what is important to me and I find even in conversations with the boys I'm trying to help them uh, and we do this as a family you know what are their passions what are the things that they can really hang on to that make them feel worthwhile because it's pretty easy to get into that uh, the, the the rat race, if you like, of doing the same things that everybody else is. And it's actually more difficult than you think to explore within yourself um, what's really important to you personally and then how can you pursue that mm. and make time in your life for those sorts of things. I've heard that you get in at five o'clock in the morning to the town hall. How do you make sure that you avoid burnout and that you are really looking after yourself? Yeah. So there are some legends about how early I come <laughs> into work. I've always been an early starter, but let's say I get up at five. Okay. Uh, I, I do I, – I want to make the most of uh, the normal part of the day, you know, normal working hours to be with people. Mm. Uh, it's when everyone's around. Uh, I do that in the evenings as well. I, I, I want to. That's my job and that's the best bit, as I said, is that connection with people. So if I'm going to do that, um, somehow I've got to fit in the written work and the policy reviews and the um, responses to correspondence, which is very important to me. If people have gone to the trouble to write to me, and I get a lot of handwritten stuff as well, mm. emails, then we... Um, town hall and, and me as Lord Mayor, we need to take the care to respond thoughtfully mm. to that. And so I do spend a lot of time on those things. So look, if my only time to do that is early in the morning or weekends uh, or whatever it is, then I'm happy. That's I'm very happy to do that. And remember, at the moment, this really suits me because I've got my boys are adults. Mm even though I sort of still refer to them like they're little babies. But <laughs> They'll always and be the baby. They yeah. will. <laughs> and uh, they're busy doing their lives. And so I have the luxury of uh, being able to spend so much time on this terrific role and make the most of it. So I'm happy to do it. Um, I can tell you, I'm happy to admit it, that exercise is the last thing on my list. If I can avoid it by coming in here early to do <laughs> correspondence, I will. Uh, and I do need to make more time for exercise. Uh, we've all got this juggle that goes on. And yes, my New Year's resolutions always include something about being more healthy uh, and uh, I have a good go at it. Um, but that's probably my weakness. <laughs> Active pounding the streets of Melbourne that's every it, day. Yeah, in high heels. I think it makes me feel a bit better. I think that doubles the intensity of it, doesn't I it? I hope so. Yeah. That's the plan. Obviously, family is really important to you and, and you've, you've spoken about them a lot and about that extended village and, and the sort of wonderful support network around you. But in, in close families, obviously, a lot of advice sort of flows freely between people. We were just wondering, your sons, they've, they've grown up with two working parents and a trailblazing mum. What sort of conversations have you had with them over the years about gender roles and about balancing family life with personal ambition? Hmm. Well, it's a great question because uh, this continues to be one of the big conundrums, doesn't it? And mm. In fact, it probably only intensifies in modern life when there are so many options and so many ways of doing things. But 
but even more, I think, more scrutiny and judgment because of social media and the way that we play everything out in such public ways. So we do uh, and have had big discussions about this. We've done some things with the kids, my husband, Andrew, and I. We, um, well, you know, I think we've really set ourselves some challenges as a family as well. We went to live in London for three years, which, you know, you think oh, it's another English-speaking country. It's the mother country. Uh, and what could be so different about that? But it was really a big move and we did that because we wanted to challenge ourselves as a family. We wanted to get outside our gorgeous, comfortable bubble. And it was an amazing experience, not all of it happy. You know, the boys really did have to settle into a new school, make new friends, um, challenge themselves. Our youngest, Will, really struggled at the start and it was desperately unhappy. He was and it meant we all were. Uh, so uh, the the conversations we've had about really pushing ourselves uh, has been a bit of a theme. Uh, one of the most memorable nights I've had with the boys, particularly uh, Will, who's a great debater, was I think we we're up until about 2am uh, debating quotas. Mm. And uh, the topic was quotas in Parliament. And boy, we all took it on. Yes. Uh, we gave it a good go uh, on both sides yep. as to why they work and why they don't and what's fair and what's not and and at the end of the day those sorts of discussions are so important because as I said earlier it's not just about gender you know there are so many changes that we need to make to create a fairer world in which we live uh, but it can really be at the vanguard because it's the most obvious mm-hmm. at the moment and it's something we've been talking about for so long and we really haven't made the the strides forward that we would we should have and uh, I remember the boys being in disbelief at the start that that women wouldn't have equal opportunities and that we didn't get paid the same and that uh, there were structural barriers in place that meant we didn't get the same opportunities, we didn't advance in the same ways, not to mention stepping out for motherhood, etc. I had all of the stats because evidence is always powerful. And what's been telling is that, uh, let's say we had that debate about six years ago, they were both still at school. Since their friends who are women have started into uni and particularly into work, they're now feeding back saying, I can't believe this. This is the experience because when I came out of high school and even into university, it was rah-rah, we Mm. can do whatever we want, we're exactly the same, there are no barriers. And then you start getting involved in workplaces particularly or uh, clubs or uh, other sorts of structures and you realise very quickly it's inherent. It might be unconscious bias but it's there. And sometimes it's more overt than that. As I've said, I've, I've dealt with some of those situations myself. So... Having uh, everyone, and in our case our children are boys, uh, having them aware and alive to these situations is so important because they're going to want to do things differently. I hope they don't fit a mould. And every time you go outside a mould, you face some sort of resistance. That's just the way we are Mm. as human beings. And so getting into these sorts of conversations is is really important. Lord Mayor, you were at the women's T20 cricket final last weekend where the Aussies took on India. Oh, yeah. And it was so amazing at the start. I was there with my two daughters and my son. And when 
the Australian team ran out onto the field, I became so emotional, not just to be there with my girls, but because my son was so passionately involved and could not see a difference between watching that sports match versus any other. And that was such an exciting thing. Tina, that was the best thing. <laughs> I had little best. boys in front of me. They would know no different. They, it was excellent. Yes. It was a huge crowd. We were all there to celebrate uh, an international final. Uh, little boys and little girls, all of them cheering, dancing, clapping, getting excited and uh, no sense of how momentous this was from yes. a gender perspective. Mm. Oh, my heart just lifted. I was almost in tears. It was wonderful. It was, yeah. But it does remind me, and we often say, oh, the next generation will be better. But we can't wait. Mm. We really can't. We need to be so proactive in this generation, mm. in this moment, to just keep reminding ourselves that we can do better around these issues. And I believe we are seeing some more momentum mm. Uh, but even in saying that, I'm not accepting that. Mm. I mean, that pace needs to be uh, faster. We need to accelerate it. And uh, if we've got the right, uh, you know, if we've got the right intent, uh, we get the right sort of mechanisms around us. If we have the right leaders, frankly, mm. that are willing to step into this, we, we really can make a difference. I remember being at a, a careers night up at Melbourne Uni one night and I was on the panel and it was a lot about workplace policies and what people could expect. And there were a lot of questions from women about um, the sorts of policies they could rely on. And I remember this young man putting his hand up and he said, are there policies for me because I'm a person who wants to take time off to help raise my children? He was a youngster. He was absolutely gorgeous. He said, this is part of what I want to do and who I want to be. Are there policies for me? And it was, these, these are great questions. Mm. As I mm. said, it's about asking questions over and over and not just accepting the answer. Absolutely. If it doesn't mm. seem fair and it doesn't seem right, keep mm. asking questions. And not resigning yourself to the usually very slow pace of change and not allowing, and uh, not letting that stop you from asking those mm. questions. Mm. Exactly. Because the questions are infectious and passion and intent to change are infectious. Mm. So, yeah, don't Good. stop asking questions. <laughs> Speaking of asking questions, is it true that you test your ideas every Saturday morning or every Saturday with your dad? Well, with my mum and my dad, mm -hmm. uh, a lot with my mum. Yes, we have uh, great discussions. I, I sometimes say to my mum, mum, you raised me when she is questioning some of the things that I do. Saying, my goodness, uh, I am a product of your rah-rah, go-for-it, uh, can-do, kick-ass attitude when I was young and, you know, you were my role model. Uh, but I, I think the great thing is that, you know, generations bring stuff with them. Uh, you do, you know, we do listen to media and different media. We are influenced by different experts and ideas and those ideas vary from time to time. And I love that because that makes us an interesting community. That means that we don't have all the same mindset. It means that we challenge each other. Mm. And I say that, yes, I go and have cups of tea. Uh, we're tea drinkers. And uh, we, I bring up lots of issues that are either on our agenda or coming up on our agenda at Town Hall uh, or are out in, uh, in the community. And um, we have a red hot go at um, why we might have different views and uh, where we're coming from. 
we always part as friends. Uh, <laughs> sometimes there are, are moments when it's pretty full on. Um, but again, I've been brought up to appreciate that. You know, we, we need to push each other to better ideas. There's no really right, wrong mm-hmm. these days, um, apart from things that are regulated right, wrong. Uh, it's, it's more grey. Things are 49%, 51% more than they are, 100 and zero. Mm. It's all of those sorts of conversations that we need to keep pushing. And thankfully, that's the way I was brought up. Let's talk about cities and families. We've touched on the fact that we need to accelerate change. There's lots of different things that need to happen to help support working parents to thrive but what do you think that cities and indeed local governments can do in terms of policy and programs to better support working parents? Yeah so much Uh, and a big part of it is is I say to everybody that that I make challenge us you know suggest something different tell us why it's not working Mm. it's the best feedback we can have when people say that's working well Terrific, that's good to know. But when we get feedback that really helps us give get insight into mm. why things don't work, it's important. I, I often use the word complex these days because we, we welcome uh, diversity and uh, we are so multicultural and we have more than 135 faiths practised just in the city of Melbourne, mm. more than 200 languages spoken, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we want that. But that also brings complexity. Mm. You know, having a blanket approach to issues and opportunities these days doesn't really cut mm. it. You know, we need to be more thoughtful for that than that. Those things then take time. They normally cost more money. They're generally harder to implement. And those things can be overwhelming and that can sort of stop the momentum on mm. so many of these programs and, uh, and policies. So I, I see what happens and I understand that. I think if we all accept that that's the way it is but says we're still going to pile in, and see how we can keep making situations better. How many different scenarios can we add on to a policy or a program so that it fits as many people as possible? It's those sorts of mm. outcomes that we need to keep pushing ourselves towards. It's um, the blanket approach has been used for far too long. It's a homogenous, it's just assuming mm. everyone's the same. I see it with homelessness every single day. And I mean, I used to stereotype, I used to think there were certain types of homeless people and now that I'm so much more involved in it I see that it's it's vast in terms of the scenarios and the circumstances people find themselves in it's the same for families there is no family unit or no one family unit these days I know when the census comes out and the ABS tells us this is the normal family unit now you know 2.2 kids and it's, I don't believe that anymore I think it's it's uh, it's and it's fabulous that it's not but it's it's also hard and uh, so we've got to put the effort in we've got to accept that it is as well we can't expect perfect in fact every time somebody says oh we can't do it we haven't got it it's not perfect yet I think oh don't wait let's just let's just try it because we'll learn more from the things that are wrong Uh, so to answer your question I think having our minds open to the fact that there's so there's there's a lot of diversity in our communities now in terms of what the family units are and what people need, but we still know that ultimately people need support of some sort during their lives. Is it support during you've just had a baby, so during that time of your life? Is it uh, when you're uh, getting kids into systems of kindergarten and school? Is it that you're struggling to keep your kids in school? Because we have a number of mothers from our communities that come and say, "Help us keep the kids in." 
school uh, is that that juggle between two parents is there only one parent uh, is it a disability? Is it age? Is it... Uh, so I'm making this sound like a, a long pol- politician's answer to your question, actually, by raising all of these issues. But I think that it's important that we say we can always do better. It's important to say that not everybody's the same and that we really need to keep exploring the ways in which we can support. And the thing I find the most satisfying about local government is that we are the level of government most closely connected to community. So we have that interface person to person and it's that sort of support that often makes a difference Mm. for me to see how powerful it is just to sit down and listen Mm. people want to be heard because then they know you respect them you value them you've taken the time to actually listen and sometimes that in itself is support Mm. so look I've gone all over the place there Um, when we look at our policies here at the city of Melbourne we really try to push it to be the exemplar I think we have a role as a level of government to do that, to try things, to be as flexible as possible, to be open. Uh, we need to juggle circumstances. I think there's got to be reciprocity in these things. When when organisations move towards flexibility, we need to see flexibility from individuals back. It's that commitment. If there's no reciprocity in terms of both sides getting value and benefit, then it won't be long-lasting. Mm. It's not sustainable. Mm. So it's finding those uh, areas of common interest and common benefit and that's what we tend to gravitate towards. It still won't suit everyone and you can always have exceptions but where is that commonality and they're the areas whether they're written rules and policies or they're unwritten that's where you'll see the most benefit Mm -hmm. and where it's sustained. And given that a local government authority has to exist in a system of three levels of government. What are there any sort of particular sort of infrastructural or structural things in cities or in local government areas that you can have full jurisdiction over when it comes to st- you know the stuff that families need to oh, to function I and mean, thrive. I mean, local governments responsible for so many things. I mean, we run uh, we run our own maternal uh, and early childhood centres. Uh, we do a lot around supporting families uh, through advice and and programs. In fact, the model we're moving towards is that we have uh, community hubs that have everything from maternal health, early learning, uh, family support services together so that when you come for one part, you can access easily the other. Uh, Lots Mm. of rooms uh, for uh, mothers' groups or parents' groups, as we should be calling them, uh, for other sorts of community activities so that there's a nice sense of connection and engagement so that that we have a better model than segregated and sort of the old-fashioned way of doing things and and that's been terrific. We do everything all the way through to aged care, actually, so uh, a lot... Uh, of different programs. But for me, underlying most of those is that sense of support and empowerment, if you like. Mm. Uh, a big part of what we do is create that that connection and engagement because there's a lot for your mental, emotional and physical health that comes through feeling part of a village. Mm. It's so important. Mm. It's, it's so one important. of the things that people say back to us. And um, one of the most incredible things about citizenship ceremonies is that sense of belonging people Mm. have made a commitment 
and uh, and they're now part of this mm. village in such a complete way. And, uh, you know, we see it from there all the way through to more informal activities. We just opened uh, a couple of months ago the Docklands Community Sports Club, which is community-run mm-hmm. uh, with some support from us through grants and different programs. And they've completely got themselves organised as what's still considered a new neighbourhood. And here they are the character and the personality and the backbone and they've organised themselves and that's their village, that's their peeps and they've had some support from us but they're very, they've self-organised. That's sensational. Yeah, that is amazing. In Australia, I guess traditionally city centres aren't filled with families like maybe they are in other parts of the world. But obviously community diversity is such an important thing and you ideally want to make space for all kinds of people in in city centres and beyond. So as a council, where are you looking for inspiration, perhaps other than the sort of usual Scandinavian suspects, for progressive cities that are really helping to support family life? Mm, That's a great question. And it probably surprises us when we do look at the data. We, we, the diversity is quite good, but the infrastructure to support diversity is not always great. You know, we've, we've had a habit in Australia really of, of building homogenous type homes. You know, for a long time it was the three bedroom, one bathroom, white picket fence. Uh, we're now getting more into apartments and we tend to do a whole lot of the same sort of apartments where actually in buildings we need a diversity of... Uh, of housing types or dwelling types. Mm. Uh, so it's it's that variety. But, but what we do see is that even in more densely populated cities uh, around the world, the things that really stand out are where they have terrific public realms. So it's where mm. people come together uh, to enjoy each other's company or where they can have quiet times for reflection. It's very much a sense of uh, marketplace and local neighbourhood commerce and businesses. It's also uh, very much uh, a sense of um, education. If you don't have education, it's really hard to have families and schools. Uh, Sorry, it's really hard to have families because they need to go elsewhere to Mm, access schools. So for us in the City of Melbourne, together with the state government, it's been about retrofitting some of those things into our city behind time. Uh, And when we look at some of the new schools that have opened, they've been filled Yes, When we look at our childhood and maternal health and kindergarten, they've been filled. And uh, and that's just wonderful to see. But but we are behind. And mm. that often happens in democracies. Mm. Yeah. We're, we're in lag. Infrastructure is in lag to, to needs. Uh, but when we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it. We can do it more quickly. Uh, and there are certainly, as you've highlighted through uh, this podcast today, and it's been interesting for me to see where your questions have gone, is that there are so many elements that need to come together uh, for us to um, be able to build the sorts of community that we want. Some of that is physical and some of that uh, is on the um, the less tangible side, the intangible side. And um, and I appreciate that. It's a, it's a puzzle, isn't it? It is a puzzle. And we're all juggling and uh, the more pieces that we can do in a deliberative way that we know will make a difference, mm. then the better off we'll all be. Totally. But these are great conversations. We've got one final question, and that is, what does work like a mother-father mean to you? Wow. Uh, I know this name has been going around <laughs> town hall, everybody thinking, wow. But I get it. Once, you know, we stop to think about it, uh, what we're finding more for women is that we have had to do 
both roles. We have had to uh, take on the, that sense of what the traditional role is of, of the mother and morph into what would might traditionally be the father. Hopefully I'm on the right track here, this is how I've taken it. And that juggle uh, for us to be able to do the full spectrum of things is not always easy and having communities where we can have these sorts of conversations is really important to acknowledging that that is what we're doing and to working out ways in which we can change it and sometimes we can change it for individuals through these sorts of conversations and sometimes we need to do things that are are more uh, community-wide but um, there's no doubt that the mother-father, which I've never heard before and I think (laughs) it's so clever, is something that I have felt keenly at various times in my life. Thank you so much, Lord Mayor. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you rate, review and subscribe to help us spread the word and keep those episodes coming to you. You can follow us on Instagram at mothertongue underscore agency for episode updates and feel free to drop us a DM or comment to let us know who you're keen to hear from in future. Until next time, work like a mother father.